Good morning, everybody. Well, let's get into the exciting part of the service, which is getting into the Word of God. The truth of the Word of God is the only thing that's going to set us free. That's what the, that is the promise of Jesus. But let's just pray first and ask that He will give us the Holy Spirit that will lead us so we can understand what's, what is written here. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we are excited about your truth because it is the only thing that will set us free, that will transform us. And as we read your word, we pray that the, your truth will be revealed to us and it will touch everything that, that we are and who we are. Father, we ask you, release your Holy Spirit. We humble ourselves and we want to, Lord. It is our, our hearts, our desire to submit ourselves. Doesn't matter what's going on around us, even inside of us, what matters is we humble ourselves and submit to the authority of the truth of the Word of God. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Bless your people. Amen. Okay, let's get into we continue on the book of Revelation. This time, we're going to read from chapter 2, verse 18. This is the letter to the church of Thyatira. Okay, let's read verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your letter works exceed the first. All right? Your letter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servant to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Strong word there. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them like a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces even as I myself have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the church wow that's a full on um Pull on uh, word there to the church in Thyatira. All right, this is our seventh sermon, and uh, we're still in the mess on the message to the churches, to the seven churches, and uh, and it is really important. I, I believe 
you know, this is one of those mo most important part of the book of Revelation. Why? Because it is the message from Jesus to the churches, and we are the church, and we can learn a, a whole, you know, a, a lot from these messages because. In the messages to the churches, we can see Jesus' passion for his church. After all, the church is his bride, and he's passionate about it. He wants his church to be victorious. That's why all these messages are there, because he's passionate, and he wants them to be victorious. And uh, like we mentioned before, so the... All these letters, the messages to the churches were invitations for them to conquer and to be victorious. And the way to do it is by confronting some of the issues that's going on in the church. Because like we've said it before, we will say it again. It is not the chaos in the world that will be the undoing of the church. But what is tolerated in the church, there will be the undoing of her. Okay? So that's why Jesus is trying to address his church. Now, for Ephesus, you know, start from the beginning to the letter of the Ephesus. For Ephesus, it was repentance from the rigidity of rigidity, of being rigid, and lovelessness. For Smyrna, it's for them, you know, the encouragement for them to be faithful even to the point of death. And for the Pergamum last week that we talked about, it was repentance from holding on to the toxic teaching that's going on in the church. So another thing that we, 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 we pointed out is that, but I'm going to repeat that throughout the book of, book of Revelation, is that the one guarantee to our survival in whatever situation we are in it's not seeing Jesus in the light of the situation that we are in, but rather seeing the situation that we are facing and we are in, in the light of who Jesus truly is. Okay? So, as in the case with the other churches, this passage, as we read it, we will see it, shows a strong correlation between the revelation of Jesus and the situation that they are in. Okay? Now, let's go to the passage. Let's go straight to it. The passage which fo follows the normal, normal structure as the previous, previous letters to the churches, beginning with the greetings. So, verse uh, 18, chapter 2, verse 18, and it says here, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. That's how Jesus introduced himself. This is, you got to understand, this is taken from chapter 1, beginning from verse, uh, the whole chapter 1, when how John saw this manifestation of Jesus. And this is just part of, of that manifestation. And that part is related or it's, it relates you know, directly to where the church is at and where they are sitting. Like it says here, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now this presentation of Jesus, where the church is 
in that city is a direct challenge to the imperial cult because the deified emperor was believed and claimed to be connected to Zeus, one of the gods, the son of, son of Apollos, who was linked to the sun god called Helios. So they have, on the one hand, they have this god, the sun god, and the Zeus and Apollos connected to the sun god, and Jesus presented himself as the true light, son of God whose eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. So it's almost like talents. Where is your God? He is the real God. Okay? So that's how Jesus introduced himself. And then the next thing is the acknowledgement. At any given time in history, Jesus is fully aware where his church is at, whether it's Mabel Life, whether it's any other church, and in this case, the church uh, in Thyatira. And this is what Jesus said. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. This is interesting because while Ephesus needed to return to where they started, you know, how they lost the, the love they had at first, Thyatira, on the other hand, actually exceeded and they, they had grown beyond where they started, which is a great church. Ephesus backslid, you know, you can say they, they, they backslid, Thyatira grew. However, in the midst of that, Jesus still had something to say about the church. And in this, Jesus brought the word of correction and reproof. And once again, speaking as a coach, just to highlight some things that they need to correct. In verse 20, he says, But I have this against you, that you tolerate, now here's the big, that big word again, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servant to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Wow. So you have a church here while on the one hand making, making progress in their, in their works, love, faith, and patient endurance, on the other hand, they fail to recognize and discern and detect the source of false teachings that are growing in their midst. Okay? They're growing, but something else also is growing. It kind of, it reminds me of the whole story of, of uh, Jesus' uh, parable of the wheat was growing, but also the tears also growing at the same time. Okay, but in this case, it's in the form of teaching. So this teaching was done by one of the members of the church called Jezebel, or characterized, characterized by Jesus as a woman called Jezebel. Now, concerning this, this woman, her self-proclaimed prophetess, prophetess status in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 20, along with the seduction of her perceived spiritual insight, I believe, 
open the way in the church and earn her the position to teach some people things like we read before, the deep things of Satan in verse 24. So somehow she weaved her way into the into the uh, whatever you can call it in the modern uh, term, network of leadership, she somehow gained that position that gave her the platform to teach some people, legally or illegally. Somehow she managed to work her way up. Okay? And her name is Jezebel. Now, I doubt that that is her real, that was her real name. Rather, I believe it is a character... Character, a characterization of an Old Testament woman literally named Jezebel. And her story, you can read if, if you're interested, in 1 Kings chapter 16 all the way to 2 Kings chapter 9. Uh, because, you know, I thought, why would this woman be characterized Jezebel? Well, you can see the parallel in uh, the Old Testament, real Jezebel in the Old Testament. And uh, let's just go through, through this, this uh, Jezebel in the Old Testament so we can understand why this woman is called Jezebel. So in the Old Testament, there is a woman called Jezebel. She is the daughter of Eth, uh, Eth, uh, Eth Baal, a priest and king of Tyre and Sidon. She was married to the king of Israel called Ahab, who is an evil, evil king in Israel. She was not a prophet, but managed to gather around her, okay, 850 false prophets of Baal, prophets of Baal, 850 of them. And her ambition was that her gods, because she came from a, a Gentile nation, from Tyre and Sidon, so her ambition was that her gods would have equal rights with the God of Israel in that nation. One of her ways to accomplish that ambition is what she did was she killed many prophets, many good prophets, godly prophets of Israel. She did. And the second thing is she seduced the nation, the whole nation, to worship Baal and other gods. Her arch enemy was Elijah, a mighty prophet, whom she also sought to kill. As a matter of fact, she threatened him. And so powerful and influential was this uh, woman that she intimidated even Elijah, the, the mighty prophet of uh, mighty, mighty prophet Elijah, who had the power to call down fire by the power of God called down fire from heaven and also called, called, called down drought and pronounced rain. I mean, you know, that's how powerful even him as the mighty prophet of God felt intimidated by Jezebel. So that's, how, that's pretty much how strong Jezebel was in the Old Testament. Now I believe the characterization of this woman Jezebel in the church of Thyatira is because she must be influential. There must be some sort of strong influence that she had in the church. 
and her teaching was marked by sexual immorality, eating food to, as sacrifice to idols, and of course, the, as mentioned in, in verse 24, deep things of Satan. So they seem to have believed that in, in this uh, group of people who actually followed her teaching, you know, this is what the scholars, uh, after studying the, the context of, of the situation, is that at that time, all these people who followed her believed, somehow believed that to triumph over Satan, it is necessary to know Satan's work, okay? Or Satan's works. That's what they believe. We need to know Satan's works. Well, if I can comment on that, no, you need to know the truth to discern what is evil. It really is. And I've seen, I mean, I've, I've seen it after being in ministry for 40 years and even growing up in a Christian sort of community. I watch some people who don't really know the scripture where they delve into the whole black magic, not necessarily be totally involved, but well, we need to know how they work. No, 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 no. So that we can, we can see how these guys, you know, these black magic people work. But to me, it's like, no, you, you, you can discern them by knowing the truth. Yeah? And there were some who believed that the important thing is also another teaching, another philosophy in that sort of situation, in the, at the writing of, of this, this, uh, this book, is that they believed that the important thing was to keep our soul pure, and whatever the body does, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> and they did not hesitate to engage in grossly sensual practices, maintaining that this concern only their bodies, but their souls were pure. In other words, you can do whatever you want. Be immoral, it's just a body thing. It doesn't work like that. Because the Bible actually says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. All right? So, uh, and uh, as a matter of fact, I think in, in, in 1 Corinthians, when Paul warned people that people with that belief, Paul said to them, don't you realize when you uh, commit adultery with a prostitute, you become one flesh with her? And then he quoted from, from Genesis, and the two shall become one. And I pretty much talk about marriage relationship from the book of Genesis. As if to say, as if to imply that when you, when, you know, you guys, you know, what Paul was trying to address these people in Corinth with that sort of belief system, don't you guys realize that a sexual, uh, sexual intercourse is not just a physical union, it's a spiritual union also. There's something happens spiritually when you do that. That's another subject. We can talk about that another time. Let's stick to this, to this situation. But enough for you to know what happened in that situation, in that church, all the false teaching. And this woman is the uh, catalyst, and she's the one who actually, actually stirred the whole thing up. My big, the big question is this. This is the big question I have. As I read this book, how did she manage to get to the position of a teacher in a church with that sort of teaching? All right. So, my 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 uh, the way I see it is, 
it is strongly possible that that woman displayed some level of prophetic gifting, okay? Some level of prophetic gifting that would earn her the status or earn that position or that, that, that provide her that space where she was able to get the platform to teach. One thing that can be learned about Ephesus with all their, their, uh, their issues is that they were able to discern the false apostles as it was written in, uh, in, in the beginning, as, as in, in the letter to the Ephesus. They were able to, dis to discern the false teachers and false apostles and furthermore able to, to the point where they hated the practice of the Lycolaitans. In other words, tolerance was not even in their, in their, in their sphere, <laughs> in their existence. They were so strong. And it is highly possible that the Ephesians' success in handling this issue of false teaching, false apostles, was due to the strong foundational truth laid by Paul in his ministry, in his instruction, and his writings to the church. You just read the, the, the book of Ephesians. It's, it's powerful. As a matter of fact, few decades before, before the writing of the book of Revelation, if you read First uh, Timothy, uh, Paul, uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, Timothy, who was at that time of the writing of First Timothy, overseeing the church of Ephesus, he was the overseer. And uh, Paul instructed Timothy to be strict concerning the qualification of elders and deacons and teachers, and he, you know, he said the uh, the uh, the criteria has to be very strict. And you can read that in First Timothy chapter three, all the way to chapter chapter six. And in chapter six, verse three, where he where Paul wrote, this is what he wrote: If anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understand nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, and constant friction among the people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. That's a powerful, like, you know, it's a mouthful out there. But that's, there's some, some of, you know, like some strong, strong claims there, statements there. In other words, they are very strict in, in putting people in that influential sort of position. As a matter of fact, in the second letter, another letter he wrote to Timothy, in the second epistle of Timothy, in uh, Tim, uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse, verse 3 and 4, this is what he said, okay? He warned Timothy concerning those, he said, the time will come where there will be those having itching ears who would accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Wow. Yep. 
he said, pretty much he said, at some point, that time is going to come. People just having itching ears, and they would accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths and all kinds of things. That kind of sound, that sounds like today, isn't it? I think. I must say this. You, you as far, you and me, we know, we know this, right? That one, the, the reality is now, in our generation now, one of the biggest, or if not one of, or if not the biggest industries in the world is the entertainment industry. All right? We know that. People do anything to be entertained. They pay big money. People pay big money to be entertained. Unfortunately, this mindset has crept into the church where people come just to be entertained. Yeah. This is a sad thing for the church now. People come just to be entertained. And worse still, preachers, and I've listened to some of them, are more preoccupied with entertaining people rather than discipling people. They become politically correct and all those things. I remember watching, you know, few few preachers, and I watched. I mean, they were very eloquent. They were very, very, uh, very good communicator. They were very entertaining. And I listened to the sermon there was hardly, if, if not worse still, no scripture mentioned. It was just like, God wants you. God, you know, I'm not good in that way. <laughs> you know, you just have to walk. I mean, of course they mentioned God, but there's no scripture. It's like, I, I thought, where is the scripture? I'm preaching this, let me say this. Like, a preacher supposed to be. I don't care. I'm not interested for you to hear my opinion. I don't want you to hear my opinion. I want you to hear the truth of the word of God because it is the only thing that can change you. My opinion is not going to change you. And I can entertain you and give you a momentary. I won't be able to do that. I don't have that gift. But even if I can, it might give you temporary pleasure but it's not going to change your life. It's the word of God that's going to change your life. And therefore, like Paul said, commit yourself to the public reading of the scripture. Okay, let's go back to the, go back to the, but sort of like going on, off on a tangent here. Let's go back to the, to the, uh, to the uh, passage here. So we have greeting and an acknowledging from God. I know where you're at. And then also God addressing the, the, uh, the problem in the church. And then this is God's solution, verse 21. Okay? Point number one in God's solution is time to repent. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. I want to read again one more time. Listen to this, verse 21. It says, God says, I gave her time to repent. That's how good God is. God doesn't just send judgment 
okay, that's it. You, you, you've done something wrong. That's it. But he gives time to repent. He makes time. He creates a space for us to repent. Isn't that beautiful? I call that the grace of God. Now, many people like repent, you know, that's such a negative word, you know, the big R word, you know, it's just the big dirty R word. It's legalism, it's negative. Yet, as I study the book of Revelation, this dirty R word is actually, to all the churches, it's a pathway to victory. It's for them to recover from the errors and then walk to the, path, to the way of victory. Repentance, I'll say it again. Repentance is our pathway to victory, to victorious living. So it's not a dirty word. So this is God being gracious to the church. He said, come on, repent. As a matter of fact, to this woman, repent. So God's solution is providing time, a space, time and space for us to repent. And the judgment of God is only for those who fail to repent. Verse 21 here. Okay. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So she made a choice not to repent. So what happened? That's when the judgment of God came. Verse 22, he said, Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent. Even at that point, God said, if they repent, there's still a chance of her works. And verse 23, I will strike her children dead. Now that children, that children, not her children literally, but actually her followers. Okay? And all the churches will know that I am he, listen, who searches mind and heart and will give to each of you according to your works. In other words, I will allow the law of sowing and reaping to take place. According to your works, that's what's going to happen. You fail to repent, that's what you're going to get. It's, in other words, you sow, you will reap. But the good thing with God, with God is he set the agenda, set the solution, and give us an opportunity to recover. And also the good news is that there's always a promise. And he said to, to the church, verse 24, but to the rest of you in Thatara who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. So what God is saying is this. To you who, uh, who haven't participated in this, just carry on the way you carry on. It's fine. That, when I read that, it's like, yeah, God is so good. It's like, of course, none of us is perfect. And uh, God, just by God saying, just carry on the way you carry on. You haven't partici participated in that. I'm sure we stumble here and there. It's like 
God is not petty, you know. Just stay with the main thing. Love Jesus and don't compromise. Just love Jesus. And if we fall here and there, we repent. And God said, I'm not going to lay any other burden on you. Just carry on the way you carry on. So the good news is, and to the rest of you in Thyatira, verse 24, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some will call deep things of Satan, to you, I do not lay any other burden. All right, so that's fine. Stay the way you are. And then the promise is that the one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. That's a strong, strong promise there. Massive promise. Verse 27, listen to this. Verse 27. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself receive authority from my father. Okay, I'll read it again. The one who conquers, who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself receive authority from my father. That scripture, that statement, he will rule them, rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces is actually a messianic promise, promised to Jesus all the way back in Psalm chapter 2, verse 9. That was in some word for word that, that, that was quoted from Psalm 2, verse 9. That was a declaration concerning the coming Messiah, concerning Jesus. That is the promise to Jesus. I will cause you to inherit nations. So what Jesus is saying is this. If you stay the way you are and faithful to the end, and conquer, I will take you to take part in my victory, in my, in my reward. You will, you will, we will enjoy my reward together. The promise that the Father gave me to rule over nations, that will be yours also. Together we'll inherit that promise. And he said, I will give him the morning star. The morning star is none other than Jesus himself. You can read in, uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 21, he is the morning star. Like Jesus said, I will give myself to him, and whatever I inherit, that's what he will inherit. And of course, verse 29, an appeal from Jesus. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So what lessons do we, do we learn here? Okay. The message to the church in Ephesus warns us about the danger of loveless practice because they fell from the love they had at first. So loveless practice of their doctrinal beliefs. Whereas the message to Thyatira is, warn, is, is a warning against the danger of soft love, which means really what it is, tolerance without discernment. I'll say it again. The Thyatira's problem is soft love, which means tolerance without 
discernment. And uh, this word tolerance is an interesting one. It's a big word in our generation now. But the problem is it has been taken so far out of context to the point that today's tolerance is our only virtue where while intolerance is the only vice. Like I said there, tolerance without discernment is a disaster. In the society of pluralism where political correctness is the pretty much the catch cry of the society where we see tolerance at all costs in any context I'll say it again tolerance at all costs in any context where there's no discernment and Christians have fallen into that trap because they don't have the foundational truth or they don't have the foundation of truth. They, don't, they are not equipped with the Word of God where, oh, it's about love, it's about love, but you know what? Like somebody once, one, one, I think I mentioned it last, last week, somebody once said, oh, I'm reading the Bible according to the eyes of love, but to me it's like, no, I love according to the eyes of the Bible. In other words, is the truth that defines love, not love defines what truth is, because <laughs> that's what the Bible says. And uh, so we we uh, we tolerate everything and just none. Like really, when I say judge, judging, I'm not talking about being judgmental, but we have to judge and discern with the truth. So I think. Like I said, the danger of the church now, we are ill-equipped with, with the truth of the Word of God that we tolerate everything. But no, we need to pray, God give us the truth, equip us with the truth that we are able to discern what is right and what is wrong. So tolerance without the truth or not based on the truth is deadly. All right? So... Uh, Let's just pray that God will keep us, his people, true to what we believe. I don't know, maybe there's some of us, some of us here that sort of uh, wonder and uh, don't know where we stand. We need to get back to the truth and ask God to reveal his truth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to discipline ourselves with the word of God. Let me pray for you guys. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the world where everything is tolerated, I pray that you will protect, just like Jesus prayed for the disciples in John chapter 17, verse 17, where Jesus asked you, Father, that you will sanctify your people with the truth. Your word is truth. Now I pray that you will protect us, Lord, with the truth of your word. Father, it's anyone who hears this thing, 
get stirred up to read the Word of God, and I, I pray that whatever I, 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 I declare today, Lord, will stir a desire in them to read the Word of God because in it contain the truth that will set us all free. So I pray that, we'll, that there will be an increase of desire to know your truth, to get into your scripture, the Word of God. And I pray, Father, and that truth will set us free. Bless your people, Lord. Let us be true people, true disciples, true people of God in this world that will shine the light and be the salt of the earth because of the truth that is in us. Bless your people, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.